0: There again. Amen. Um I am so excited about this emphasis on prayer and the and this coming up. And could you put that first that lower that last slide up again? Pam. The the last one, the praying hands. I have seen praying hands before, but I want to tell you that I've never seen praying hands with the neon highlights. <laughs> and I like that I think God's just gonna do something okay you can change it out but uh (laughs) I just want to point that out I love it um but uh yeah I I mean everything Susie said you know this church is going to go forward on its knees it's going to go forward in prayer and I am so excited about what God is doing um and this Israel trip I mean there is so much that Susie did not share uh, about the whole process of the, the person that's in charge of it, uh, not just telling her about it, but inviting her to, you know, to come, and, um, and, uh, the, the person she's going to be mentoring with, um, and, you know, how God set all that up, it's, you should just talk to Susie, uh, about that, and, uh, Yeah, just talk to her about that and get the rest of the story. Like, uh, who was it that used to do that? And that's the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, yes. I knew somebody with some wisdom in their head, you know, was going to know that one. (laughs) It's been a while. All right, let's pray. Father, our hearts are open to your word. Come and speak to us. Come and teach us Come and and, and draw us closer to you because you are the one that we love. You are the one that we serve. You are the one that we adore. You are the one that holds that primary place on on our hearts who sits on the throne of our hearts. And we love you. So by your Holy Spirit, come and bring us closer to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we began a new series. The series is titled True Virtues. And we began by talking about living with honor in a cancel culture. And, and, you know, we talked the things we talked about, we need to understand, are very countercultural because we're not supposed to live according to the practices and the dictates of this culture. And in this culture, you don't see a lot of honor right now. You don't see much honor at all taking place, but we are called to live according to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about giving honor where honor is due. And as believers, uh, that's where our, our, our true citizenship is. You know, that's where our allegiance should be. Before we are the citizens of this country or any other country, we are citizens of heaven. That is where our allegiance is. That is the one that we bow to. And uh, so, uh, th- that is uh, uh, that is something we need to, to begin to, uh, to do, is begin to live with honor in the midst of a culture that where you don't see very much of it. Now, uh, today we're going to continue our series and we're going to talk about another virtue that we see slowly fading away in our culture. And as soon as I mention it uh, or as soon as you see it up there, uh, you'll know that it's something that our culture, you know, in more and more in the, the stories that come out, the news that comes out and, and just the people around us, there's less and less of this that we're seeing, it's slipping away more and more every day, and that is the the virtue of integrity. Now, as I was thinking about this, I looked up the definition of integrity, and I came up with two definitions. (laughs) The first definition is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. And that's usually what we think of when we think of integrity, right? That's usually the one that comes to mind, that, that, you know, somebody that's honest and they've got strong moral principles and they live by that. And the second definition is this. The state of being whole. Or undivided. In other words, all the parts are there. All the pieces and parts are in place where they are supposed to be. There's nothing missing, like a puzzle that, that, you know, is all put together and there's not that one or two or three pieces that are missing. You've got the whole picture. An example of this, this building, many of you know this, but in case you don't know this, this building was not built originally as a church. Right, I mean the silo outside might have been your first clue. You know, it was built as a sale barn, and we bought the building. And we, and we, did I hear a moo? <laughs> All right, we, I love it. We bought, we bought the building. You know, that's something that Tom would have done. <laughs> We bought the building and we renovated it wall to wall, top to bottom. I'm where you're sitting right now was once two different rooms and there was a there was a wall dividing the the two parts right there. And of course this was probably to a later re- renovation. I don't know what it looked like as a sale barn, but it's been everything since then. It's been a sale barn, it's been a women's health and fitness place, it's been tanning spas, it's been a, you know, country line dance place. It's been everything you can think of just about. Anyway, we had an architect come in, and you know, he we, we told him you know basically what we're wanting to do, and he was somebody that was also a church planter, and you know, understood what we were looking for as a as a pastor and as a church. Um, so he says, okay, there are some structural supports that were in the way of what we were wanting to do. I'm trying to remember where they were, and I think, and they were like right over in this area, so that had to be taken out. So you might wanna move a little, no. (laughs) Those structural supports had to be taken out. He said you can do that if you replace them, if you put structural supports in a certain way at another location. He said then it's okay to do, it'd be funny next week if all of a sudden everybody sits over here. But really, we replace the structural supports in, in, you know, elsewhere in the building and to where uh, they're not as visible and so forth. And, and that's the only way we could do it, only way the engineer would sign off on it, only way that it would be safe, only if we took those supports and put them elsewhere in the right place. Otherwise, the building would lose its structural integrity all the pieces would not be there, and it would be dangerous. So all the parts had to be there, so he guided us in the process of all of that. Now, when it comes to talking about integrity as it it applies to our lives, we're going to see that both of those definitions apply to us as believers. Both of those definitions apply. I want to begin today by reading one of the Psalms of David. And it starts out, it's Psalm 15, and it starts out, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? So, you know, uh, David is asking this question, and after asking it, he proceeds to answer his own question. And as David writes, he describes a person that matches that first definition, okay? He describes that person. He says, the one whose walk is blameless, Who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, casts no slur on others, who who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. In other words, they don't change their mind after they take an oath and it proves to be inconvenient later. They stand by their word. Verse five, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Psalm 15 describes the person who by their actions demonstrates their faith in God. And that's where the second definition of integrity comes into play. All the pieces are there. All the parts are there and put together. It's not just—it's not enough to just say that we believe something. That's just a part of it. You know, the confession we make or the profession we profess, that's just a part of it. Actions must also line up with what we say, because integrity is when your behavior, that's one part, matches your beliefs, and that's the other part. For example, I would say that, you know, as Christians or as believers, we would, you know, it's safe to say that we all believe it's wrong to steal, right? And also, we'd all say that it's, you know, we should always treat others as we would want to be treated. Now, if, if um, anybody does not believe those two things, don't raise your hand, just come and talk to me afterwards. Because those are kind of essential, you know, to, to you know, walking with Christ. Uh, that's, that's a big component to it. But how does that translate into our everyday lives? Let me give you a couple situations. Let's say, you're running short on cash for the month. Everybody anybody ever been there? You know, you're running short on cash cash for the month. Maybe, you know, your bills are higher than you expected or, you know, whatever and, you know, you need more money and since you're a Christian, what do you do about that? You take it to the Lord and you pray. You ask God to help you out. God, I'm short on funds. I need some help this week, this month, whatever. Could you help me out? Then you go to Kroger, and the cashier gives you your change, and they count. when they count change, they count it wrong, and they give you an extra 20. What do you do? Do you keep it and say, hey, God, thanks for answering that prayer. <laughs> You're awesome. That's <laughs> just what I needed. Or do you hand it back to the cashier and tell them, uh, excuse me, you made a mistake. You gave me too much money back person walking in integrity gives it back to the cashier let's say go to the store again you go to the self-checkout lane you walk up to the station you start to you know get your groceries ready to scan them and you notice there's two 20s sticking out of the cash slot, where somebody had obviously gone to withdraw money from their their card and after they packed up their groceries, they walked out without it. And there was nobody there before you. There was nobody there, uh, uh, you know, so you have no idea who it was. Could be anybody's. So it might as well be yours, right? Right? But is that what integrity does? See, sometimes these can be tough choices. It'd be so tempting just to well, I don't know who it belongs to, but you know, integrity turns it in at the store office and says, When I walked up to the machine, this was sticking out of the cash slot. I don't know whose it is, but I think somebody's gonna probably come back looking for it. Cause you know they will. I know they will, because I did it. Wasn't for two twenties, it was one twenty. And I went to the machine first. And then I went to the office to see if anybody had turned it. No, they didn't. Uh, but or let's look at another situation. You're on the job. These are all real-life situations. You're on the job, and you make a mistake. And because of that mistake, it cost your company a lot of money. Nobody knows who made the mistake. But the head of the company suspects one person and places the blame on them because they make a lot of mistakes. They've got a history of making mistakes, and then they start taking the heat for it. What do you do? You stay stay silent and let the other person take the heat and possibly lose their job over it, I mean, after all, they weren't a very good employee anyway. They're always making mistakes, and this is just would have been just one among many, and nobody would know, and the company would really be better off without them anyway, so, yeah, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. If you're walking integrity, you step up to the owner and you say, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I'm the one that made the mistake. I'm the one that cost the company this money. Not that person. I did it. And that's because integrity does what is right. Not what is comfortable. Not what is convenient. It does it because it's the right thing to do. And not because somebody is watching you. And not because eventually it'll come out anyway. It may or may not on this side of eternity, but integrity is doing the right thing. A person who lives this way in every area of their life is someone that we would say, that's the real deal. That person is the real deal. They're living by what they believe. They're living by the profession they make. They're living as Jesus would live. They don't just act one way, or I mean, excuse me, talk one way and act another. Their walk matches their talk. Proverbs 10 talks about this kind of person when it says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Integrity brings security. And walking in integrity is not always the easy choice to make but will always bring you the most peace. You can go to sleep at night with a clear conscience. When you make the right the choice to do the right thing, you'll be able to lie down and sleep soundly. You won't be tossing and turning wondering if, you know, if if tomorrow is that the day someone's going to find out. Is that the way the thing whatever it was is going to be discovered? Integrity is when you are the same person in private as you are in public, and that brings great peace. And it's not just when someone is watching. You're the same person no matter what, and that's different than reputation. You see, reputation is what others, the, uh, reputation is who what others think you are. It's who what others think you are. That's your reputation. Integrity is what you really are when there's no one around. Again, the same in private as you are in public. Now, the opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. The word hypocrite comes from, most of you, I think, know this, or several, comes from the Greek theater, okay? And and it's when actors that would wear a mask to pretend to be someone other than who they really are. They were called hypocrites. That's where the word comes from. They're wearing a mask to pretend, you know, they're theater, they're, you know, in plays, and Greek plays, or whatever, they're actors, so they wear a mask to be somebody other than who they really are. Now, Jesus was pretty hard on those who pretended to be something that they're not. In fact, he was harder on them than he was on anyone else. In Matthew 23, Jesus said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. There's that word. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. That's pretty harsh language that Jesus uses. And he was, he was hard on them because they were more concerned about how they appeared to everyone else than they were about their actual state of being inside. Now, I want you to notice something, though. This is not talking about the person who struggles with something and fails or falls over and over, but they're really trying. I mean, they're, really, they're not trying to be somebody else. It's just that they're not living up to you know, what their desires are, what, what you know, they expect of themselves, really. They're not living up to it. It's not talking about that person. To that person, Jesus gives grace and grace and more grace and more grace. Because Jesus understands our weaknesses, and then he calls us to a better way, and then he empowers us to live it. In Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about the person who's all pretense, just so that they'll look good in front of others, because that's what matters. See, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of where your heart is. Is your heart focused on following after Jesus? That's why Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, why do we need to guard our heart? How do we guard our heart? For one thing, we need to be careful of what we let in our hearts. There are all kinds of things that would try to come in and compete for our affections, all kinds of things that would try to pull us this way or try to pull us that way or try to take center place in our lives. All kinds of things that will want to take that primary place. But there's only one person who has the right to lay claim to the throne in our hearts. And that's Jesus. He is the only one. He is the only one that has that the, the right to that place. Even though so many other things compete with it. Another reason we guard our hearts is because of Offenses. When things happen that offend us, which they will, they do to every one of us, but when things happen that offend us, those offenses have a way of taking hold and not letting go. They latch on, they dig in deep, and then you know what they do? They invite their kids to come in with them. Who are their kids? Their kids are resentment and bitterness and it becomes a family affair. When they move in, they start to poison everything around them. So we guard our hearts so that offenses don't have a place to even land. When offenses come, we deal with it. We deal with it and we refuse to let it come in our hearts. You know, Jesus said, first clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside also will be clean. The place to start cleaning the inside is to prevent the wrong stuff from getting in there in the first place. Then it's much easier to clean the rest. And the reason Jesus said to clean the inside first is because it's what's on the inside that matters the most. But so often, we want to focus on the outside first so, you know, so that we look good for everyone else. So I've got to keep up my image. You know, People think this about me, so I've got to live up to that. And, 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 but if we're not living up to it on in the inside, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like because Jesus looks at the inside. It's kind of like getting your car all washed and waxed and detailed so it looks great. But then you go to start it up, and it's misfiring on two cylinders, and it starts shaking horribly, you know, it won't take you anywhere. Starts smoking, too. I had a car one time, 82 Buick LeSabre. And, I mean, it was, it, it looked nice. No dings, no dents, no rust, you know, which... For an 82, that was kind of unusual, but, you know, it, and it looked good. It looked good on the outside. It was nice and clean when I got it and everything, but it had a problem. Every time you would approach an intersection, a stop sign or a light, you had to play the game with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake and play that game, otherwise it was going to stall out. And if you didn't do it just right, it would stall out in the middle of the intersection. Car looked great, but inside it was horrible. And we had it, you know, tuned up. We had everything, the idle adjusted, everything else trying to do. Finally, finally, uh, a, a mechanic from the dealership told us the problem with this car is that the engine and the transmission were a mismatch. They were mismatched, and no matter what we did, it was going to always be that way. Doesn't matter how good it looked on the outside, because it was a nice-looking car. Inside, there were issues. And therefore, it wasn't a good car. It's what's on the inside that matters, your heart, your character. That's what matters most. And you see, your feet may stumble, but it's your heart that keeps them pointed in the right direction. Remember that. Your feet may stumble, but it's your heart that keeps them moving and pointed in the right direction. Integrity is to be cultivated. It's to be guarded, and it's to be valued. So what is your integrity worth? Let me just ask that. How how much do you value your integrity? What's it worth to you? What value do you put out? What would you trade it for? For shaving a few dollars off your taxes by underreporting income or claiming shady exemptions that don't really apply. For exaggerating on a resume just to get you in the door and then you'll prove your worth, but on the resume you weren't totally honest. Taking credit for someone else's work. Paying someone to write a term paper. Making excuses for a relationship that you know is not right. We know the value we put on integrity by what we're willing to trade for it. Sometimes it could be measured in monetary value, sometimes it's measured by the words we speak, other times its value can be seen in the level of honesty and relationships. There's all sorts of ways to measure our integrity. Now, I want to invite you into something. If integrity is something that matters to you, then I want to invite you into joining me in a prayer, but only if you mean it, only if you're really serious, because this prayer is a prayer that you can count on God answering. If not today or tomorrow or the next day, soon. When you least expect it, like the old Candid Camera, remember? How many are old enough to remember the old Candid Camera show? Yeah, black and white, Alan Funt. <coughs> Loved it. But when you least expect it, you can count on God answering it. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. And the prayer is from Psalm 139. And if integrity matters, I invite you to pray with this, this with me now. Outline. Out. Loud. search me God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting I want you to notice something there's no condemnation in that none it's simply asking God for his help To point out anything in your life that he says it's time to let him help you with. That's all it is. So let's do it again. Let's pray it again. And let's remember that. Because, you know, sometimes we hear a message like this and and we feel so bad. But it's not about that. It's about asking God to help us with the things that he is ready to put his finger on in our life. And if he's ready to put his finger on and he starts doing that... It's not because he wants to punish. It's not because he's down on us. It's because he believes in us and he's saying, hey, I'm ready to help you deal with this. So let's pray it again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, Here's three things to help you with that process. Let's look at these three areas. One. Look at where you are most defensive. That's a good clue. Where are you most defensive? Early on, in in you know serving as a pastor, some things weren't going as I thought they should. And you know some things weren't right, and I was upset about it. And I was, you know, I was talking on the phone with with uh, Ron, our our regional overseer, and he listened for a while, and then he just said this. He said, "Dave, don't be so defensive." He said, I'm not, and I proceeded to tell myself, "You know, I'm not. I got reason." And he goes, "Dave, yes, you are." I say, "No, I." You're right. I am. And it didn't matter about whether the things I was complaining about were right or wrong or right perspective or wrong perspective or whatever. What mattered was I was just being defensive. And I was wrong. It was something I needed to change about my behavior because God wasn't pleased with it so I started watching for that to happen and I told myself as soon as I recognized that defensiveness kicking in I was going to stop it in my tracks and just repent under my breath God I'm sorry second ask yourself what it is that you don't want others to know what you don't want others to know. The thing that you think, oh my gosh, if anybody knew that, I would just die. If there's a secret in your life that you're ashamed of, if there's some sin that you wouldn't want anyone to find out, you know what the best way to diffuse the power that it holds over you is? Is to find someone that you trust, confess it to them, because there's power in confession Someone you can trust who knows how to minister forgiveness and let them pray forgiveness over you. Someone that's not going to take it any farther, but will release you from the shame and the guilt and release you from the lie that, that you've been believing that you're the only one that's ever dealt with it, that nobody else does. And third thing, look at what you criticize in others. Sometimes the thing that we criticize the most in others is something that we struggle with ourselves. It's because we may not realize it but but looking at them is like looking at a mirror in ourselves and we don't like what we see and so we criticize them because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Because if I criticize them about if I criticize that in them that it means I'm you know I I don't approve of it and somehow it 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 separates us from our own behaviors see how that works so you know what is it is there something that I'm not talking about you know just using discernment I'm talking about you are super critical there's one thing that is that is your hot button is just gets you going you're super critical about others if there's something like that in your life then I would back off and been a minute and just say well now wait a minute Lord is this something that I deal with also if it is show me so those three things. Here, and then give me, let me give you a couple of final thoughts on the matter. You know, when we compromise on our integrity, when all the pieces aren't there and, and we're not being totally honest or whatever, it's often because we want to take a shortcut to where we want to be. That's what compromise is. It's like, I want to go here. That's a long, hard road. But I have a shortcut that will get me there quicker. But there are no shortcuts in life. You've all heard the saying, you know, talent can get you to the top, but only integrity will keep you to the top. Second, in all things, do what is right and trust God with the results. Well, if I say this to my boss, if I admit to this, I may lose my job. Yes, you may. but you can trust God to take you through whatever the aftermath is and to go through it with you. And third, always remember that your integrity, our integrity is easier to keep than it is to recover. That's something we do well to keep in mind It's easier to keep it. Even in the hard choices, it's easier to keep it than to recover it afterwards and have to rebuild afterwards. Let's stand. Want us to pray. Lord, we've already prayed and asked you to search our hearts and Show us anything in it that is unpleasing to you. Anything in it, Lord, that you want to show us that you are ready to help us change or let go of. Continue to search us, Lord, every day because our hearts are hard after you. We are pressing into you, Jesus. We want to press into you with everything that we have. So there may be things that we're not even aware of that you want to reveal to us. Shine your light in those areas. Reveal your truth and then you reveal your way out. Search us every day. And Lord, make us people of integrity. Not one of us here can do this on our own. Not one of us here can do this without your help. But make us a people of integrity, people who walk the talk in every area of our lives, not just a select few. Amen. Amen. Hold your hands out, receiving posture for a benediction. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget to see Laura about the community Thanksgiving sign-up.